You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vincent Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 158 of the Comic Book Informer podcast, coming to you on a Wednesday, February 5th, but with good reason. Uh, we took yesterday off so that Roger could spend his birthday with his family, so happy birthday, Roger. There was a bit of contempt there, I heard. What? Birthday with his family. <laughs> like you're not family. You're family, I'm, too, Vince. I'm not, I'm not so sure about your uh, what you're picking up on there. Okay. It was nice. I didn't get any comics, though. Well, you kind of got a comic. Well, I, that doesn't count as a comic, but yes, we we talked about this on uh, Popcorn Ronin when we did our documentary episode, which is going to be coming out actually this week. Um, so yeah, if you want to listen to cool stuff, listen to this and Popcorn Ronin. And we talked about the uh, Bill Watterson documentary on Calvin and Hobbes, and we mentioned the box set, the complete collection of his work, and sure enough, my wife picked it up for me, so now I have it. And it's beautiful. It's freaking heavy as crap. You could assault someone for, with that thing. <laughs> but yeah, it's beautiful. So I'm very happy. And it's actually a really interesting coincidence that uh, we were talking about it last week. And now you've got that nice collection. Because just last week at the French something word with a whole bunch of vowels in it. So I'm not going to try to pronounce it. <laughs> but their International Comic Book Festival. It's actually the largest comic convention in the world. Even bigger than San Diego. And they have their own version of, you know, the Eisners. They have their own comic book awards that they hand out. And this past year, Bill Watterson actually won their Grand Prix Award, which wow. is basically their Lifetime Achievement Award that they hand out every year. And this is really important for a couple of reasons. First of all, he's only the second American to ever win the award. And secondly, the selection committee is made up exclusively of other people who have won the award. So other people who have gotten the Lifetime Achievement Awards are the one that voted Watterson to win this past year. That is very cool. Very, very cool. Now what's going to be very interesting is uh, the previous year's winner is the one that kind of leads the delegation for the next year's selection. And Watterson hasn't left his house in a couple <laughs> decades, let alone gone to France. <laughs> You know what would be funny, though, is that if he starts this, like, landslide of from now on, they just keep voting in other comic artists, comic strip artists. <laughs> Screw the comic book people, just comic book or comic artist after comic artist. That would be fantastic. <laughs> well, the, yeah, well, the this particular French convention isn't specifically just for comic books. Like, uh, the other American that won was Art Spiegelman, who did the very groundbreaking graphic novel Mouse, but he's also most well known for the decade he spent as a political cartoonist for the New Yorker. So they definitely oh, venture they far outside just traditional comic books. Cool. Very nice. All right. As for this week's actual discussion, we're going way, way back to 2006. And the reason I wanted to talk about this particular comic is there's been a lot of talking amongst the, uh, the, the comic internet and creators and fans and writers because Warren Ellis is coming back to Marvel to write the new Moon Knight comic. And he's also currently co-writing Avengers Assemble along with Kelly Sue DeConnick. So there's been a lot of people just chatting about Warren Ellis as they do every couple years when he shows back up again. You know, comes out of the, his cave, be, trims his beard, and then hands in a couple dozen pages of an amazing script. 
And everybody's talking about, you know, and specifically from a lot of the creators, Dan Slott, Kelly Sue, uh, Brian Bendis, almost universally across the board when they're talking about Warren Ellis, they mentioned that Next Wave is their favorite comic of his. And I first read Next Wave right around when it first came out, whenever the graphic novel hit, so around 2007 or so. And I love it. I'm assuming from the uh, brief message you sent me earlier, you don't share that opinion. It's not that I despise it or anything like that. It's just with me personally, um, it's really hard to get a hit with parody. And it's it's one of those things where you, you're walking such a fine line that it, for me, it's 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 so easy for me just to groan instead of laugh, and that's a personal thing. I fully admit it. It's the same thing as when I'm watching movies too. I'm less likely to enjoy a parody than I am a straight up comedy kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so this here, there were parts that I justifiably did chuckle and I did enjoy, but there were also quite a few groans in there. And it's again, it's just a personal thing with me. Mm-hmm. So the concept Ellis was going with uh, for with Next Wave, along with uh, his artist Stuart Immonen, along with uh, Wade Von Graubadger and Dave McCaig handling inks and colors. And this was really Stuart Immonen's uh, big coming out party, at least for Marvel. Like He'd done some stuff with DC and he'd done some other small, smaller projects. But this was really the first time I had been really exposed to Immonen. And as with everything he's done since – this just flies right off the page. The art, the artwork is very striking in this comic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. The art and the colors, everything, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what uh, Ellis was going with here is he didn't want to do this you know, great character discussion or a lot of the stuff that he, he typically does of just these really slow-paced, character-driven stories, and that's great. For this particular project, he just wanted to do a pure comic. You know, like boil comic books down to their essence – where it's just over-the-top characters and punching things until they explode. <laughs> That's exactly what we got here with Next Wave. He took a cast of, I don't even want to call them C-list characters, at least at the time, and threw them all together. We have uh, Monica Rambeau, uh, currently known as Spectrum on the Mighty Avengers, previously as Captain Marvel and Photon. Uh, Elsa Bloodstone, the Monster Hunter. Aaron Stack, the Machine Man. Uh, Boom Boom from X-Force. And a character Ellis himself created, Captain Expletive. I actually loved the when he was uh, sitting around on the ship talking with Machine Man about all the other names he tried to come <laughs> up with. And every single one of them was Captain something, and they were all already taken. <laughs> I like when he said that he talked to Captain America and told him his name, and he got the crap beat out of him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually kind of curious as to what the curse word he's using is. <laughs> And they work for hate, the highest anti-terrorism effort, a goofy parody of S.H.I.E.L.D. along with their boss, General Dirk Anger. And this this went a little too far in the parody aspect for me. Like at some points I was like, OK, that was kind of funny. But this one definitely went really over the top, and especially now I look back and I compare it to um, God, I can't remember the guy's name, but uh Brock Samson's boss from the Venture Brothers, if you've ever seen that. Yeah. <laughs> like even he even looks the same. I have to wonder if somebody was being inspired by the other there. And what's fun about this comic is 
each story arc is just broken down into two issues. So over the course of the 12 issues we have here, we actually get six very fast-paced, very action-oriented stories. And I'm not going to break down every little thing that happened, but let's just say Next Wave goes up against some of the craziest stuff you've ever seen in your life. Oh, giant Godzilla in purple spandex pants. That'll do it. Or shorts, actually. (laughs) Poor Fin Fang Foom. <laughs> a couple uh, that really stood out for me. I really liked probably the highlight of this run for me was uh, issues seven and eight, where they went into this small town in Colorado or who cares, Wyoming, somewhere that nobody ever wants to visit, and that was being invaded by the mindless ones. You know, the uh, the dark denizens of uh, various dimensions and it wasn't Dormammu it was you know some other guy that looked very similar and used a different name but that's just next wave style and this is where like you could tell Ellis just like wrote a couple notes and just let Imonen run with it like there is so much ludicrous in a good way stuff going on here I think it was issue 8 that opened up with the mindless ones dancing down the street like they were at a west side story it was like it was perfect. Like they had the poses down and like these things are barely recognizable as a humanoid shape and yet absolutely nailed it. It was hilarious. Well, the last page of seven is where you see the skate park and you just see the hand picking up the baseball cap and then you see them all on skateboards behind the wheel of a car (laughs) or the van or whatever the hell it is. And so, yeah, so it opens up perfectly for the following episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I, issue 11 was obviously the high point of this. This was even starting with the cover and the covers across all 12 issues were really cool stuff. Very like sketchy at some points, a lot of like collage going on. But it's something that you, you could definitely see stood out on the stand amongst all the other comics. Except this one because it was using the trade dressing of the Civil War tie-in. And even on the cover, it's mocking the entire concept of Civil War, where it says, not a tie-in to that event comic you're reading. And all of the characters are holding up these signs saying, we don't care, and please love us. And my favorite, Mark Millar licks goats. Yeah, I thought I might frame that. <laughs> Make an avatar just out of him with that little sign. <laughs> That's going to be my Twitter avatar. <laughs> The official CBI avatar is now Captain Expletive saying Mark Millar licks goats. As you know, it's the robot dude who's saying... Uh, it was Machine Man? Yeah. yeah. It would have been better if it was Captain. I agree. But this was just outrageous. This is when they finally uh, go up against the... God, what was the company they were going after? It doesn't matter. Like the, the big bad guys behind everything that's been happening to them. And they throw every biological and technological weapon at their disposal at them. You know, various superhero team knockoffs and stuff. But there are 12 pages in here. And it's just six back-to-back-to-back double-page spreads from Stuart and Monin of them fighting absolutely ridiculous stuff. Like Cyclops dinosaurs and Elvis Modox, Samurais, Aliens, you name it, it's in here. And it's just page after page after page of mind-blowing artwork. The Stephen Hawkins in the wheelchairs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that was awesome. (laughs) And this is also one of those little bits where they, they really did hit on the parody angle. Like, yeah, you had the goofy stuff going on, but it's also parodying the, the act of having to buy multiple copies of a comic because the 12 pages were originally 
designed to like link together side to side and be like one big spread. But of course you can't do that with six pages in the comic book. So one of the, one of the captions inside the panels actually says, now you have to buy six comics of this or six copies of this issue. <laughs> and then the final one is next wave wasting your money since 2006. Yeah. Like it's just, I, I can't go into too much depth really like explaining what's going on here because there is no depth. Like, like you said, it's pure parody, pure action. But if that's the kind of thing that you're into, I'd say it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and again, even me, who's not that much into parody, enjoyed a lot of this. There's quite a bit of it, like I said, was just grown worthy. But there's parts of it that were justifiably damn cool and well done. Mm-hmm. When and you're seeing fun. the freaking dinosaur at the end, especially with the art... And what's going on? It's like it's kind of hard to not be <laughs> impressed, and by that point, you're along for the ride, regardless of if you want to or not. They threw feral koalas out of an airplane to attack. Yeah. <laughs> but you also did have a few nice character moments. Uh, you know, the flashback to Elsa and like the training her father through, put her through, and I think it was issue ten. It might have been early in issue eleven where they all went into the dark mindscapes and it really like did examine like certain aspects of the characters. So it, it, there were brief moments where there was some good character stuff, but yeah, mostly comedy, mostly parody. Yeah. And it's interesting because when I first read this, I hadn't yet read invincible. So it wasn't, you know, until like shortly after this, that I started going through and finding all the invincible stuff and reading that. So now this past week, was the first time I've read Next Wave in years. First time I've read it since I've read Invincible. And now you see that I'm going to fully admit Invincible is a much better parody than Next Wave is. Mm-hmm. And they, they do hit certain similar notes. Uh, what Next Wave really builds itself off of is the character recognition with the actual Marvel Universe. And I, I will flat out say that if you have to choose between one of them, I would by far recommend Invincible. Oh, because reading through this again, I go... I, it was really interesting comparison for me of going, huh, I, re- I still really liked it, but I liked it a lot more before I had read Invincible. Yeah. No, I'll completely agree with you on that. And I would think unless you really have anything to add, I think we're just kind of going to wrap it up there because, like I said, there's not a whole lot to discuss in depth about this particular comic. Definitely. Okay. So we're just going to have some good time talking about some what we're reading stuff. And there's quite a bit to talk about, actually, for me. And by quite a bit, I mean three. But, yeah. And starting off with uh, Avengers Assemble, co-written by Warren Ellis and Kelly Sue. This – have you read this at all lately? No. Okay. This is, I think, the third issue of this story arc. It's the uh, Inhumanity tie-in, but very vaguely Inhumanity tie-in. It's just involving, you know – a crystallis that they're going after but it's really definitely just still an avenger story and the main character in the story arc is actually spider girl anya who hasn't been seen since spider island as far as i know and she comes into the avengers and they're in full crisis mode because of the collapse of attilan and everything going on and she just wants help finding her teacher that went missing his teacher turned into a chrysalis and then somebody took the chrysalis and she's like you know this is what avengers do and each issue has been her partnered up with a different Avenger. Like it started off uh, her Spider-Woman and Black Widow were doing like an infiltration thing. And it's just fun seeing this young, naive character playing off 
you know, the traditional experienced Avengers to the point where the latest issue was partnering up her and Wolverine. And it absolutely nails that Spider-Man Wolverine dynamic that we nice. both love so much, nice. but in a completely different way, because this is a younger spider person and Wolverine's like, she's trying to do the exact Spider-Man stuff that we expect from the stories, but Wolverine isn't treating her the same way. Like they're going in and he's like trying to give her like armor and stuff to put on. And every time she's like, but Peter, but Peter. And he's like, listen, Peter Parker has been thrown off of buildings, shot, stabbed, you know, blown up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you know why he's still alive? Because he's lucky. <laughs> Not because he's good. That idiot has gotten lucky so many times. It's If you like that Spider-Man Wolverine dynamic, the issue 23 or 22, whichever the most recent one was, absolutely nails that. But overall, it's been a fun storyline. I'll have to pick those up for sure. Mm-hmm. Next, we have Superior Spider-Man team up because I know you're probably going to want to talk about actual Superior Spider-Man and you'll yell at me if I try to pick it up. Yeah, but this yeah. is a, the team up we've seen a thousand times between Spider-Man, Daredevil and Punisher. But just because it's auto, it's completely different. And it, like this is a particular team up I've gotten completely tired of. They did that crossover a couple years ago that was just like, eh, it, it wasn't all that great. But throw in auto, throw in the different approach, and it's so fun this time around. I actually didn't read that one yet. Yeah, I, I, I've been kind of off and on on the whole superior team up stuff. Like a lot of it is probably because like the artwork was kind of funky on a lot of the issues. I had trouble getting into it, but uh, yeah, I checked this one out and I was not disappointed. And I think it, if off the top of my head, I think there's more coming. I think this is only the first part of a story. And then finally, I have the Vendetta crossover between Cable and X-Force and Uncanny X-Force. And it kind of worked. Like, it just had a feeling of they were kind of rushing things to get the story to, to a conclusion. I don't know if this was always their plan or if it was just more of a matter of Marvel realized two X-Force comics being published at the same time was probably one too many. As much as at least I was enjoying the two separate ones with their very unique takes and different characters and a lot of the team dynamics, I enjoyed both of them. I, it's probably true that it was one too many to be selling at one time. And they actually had – again, I don't know if this was intended, but they actually had the basis for a good crossover with Bishop and Cable. With uh, After Hope was born, they did the whole uh, Cable solo series where – Bishop was chasing them through the time stream trying to kill Hope because he had basically gone completely nuts. And I really didn't like a lot of the stuff in that because I wasn't a big fan of Bishop, but the way they portrayed his character was just so wildly off the mark. It was hard to get into. Some of the dynamics between Cable and Hope were fun, but it, it wasn't really something that I have good memories of. So coming back to the present day with you know them on these two different teams and they finally find out that bishop is back and it's actually hope that goes on the offensive she's the one that you know was traumatized by this guy for her entire young life so seeing that storyline play out i was into that but they had to throw in this whole thing with strife coming back from some point in the future who knows it's strife and i just completely stop caring when he shows up and how he was trying to make a point of, you know, if hope were to kill Bishop, it would, 
you know, basically ruin the upbringing and that, you know, ruin her for life and, you know, basically justifying that Cable was unfit. Just It got really complicated and really dumb. And it just seemed like it rushed to a particular conclusion just so that they can write off those two X-Force comics uh, to launch the new one, which I think comes out in a week or two, which I am really looking forward to the new X-Force comic because it's written by Cy Spurrier and he has absolutely been killing it on X-Men Legacy. So seeing what he's going to do with an X-Force team, for that alone, I'm all for it, but I'm actually kind of sad to see the other two go. Actually, I'm all right with them going at this point. Because of just how it's been going with the other one, I've I kind of lost interest and with the hope stuff got to be too much and stupid. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah. So now knowing that Spurrier's coming on for this, especially considering the last freaking issue as well of uh legacy, it's like, yeah, no, I really would love to see what he can do with this. Yeah. Again, X-Men legacy was freaking astonishing yeah. this past time around. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of times where you get to a point in a comic where there's a sex scene like both of us will simultaneously roll our eyes completely <laughs> independent of each other just because it's usually handled so poorly. Nailed it. <laughs> this was just, yeah, it was freaking <laughs> epic is what it was. The whole issue was actually, we may as well talk about it because I was yeah. going to be talking about it as well. But yeah, this whole thing was just phenomenal. It It was... I know that they're going for larger than life, and I think at a few points it, it was a little too big. When you're seeing him superimposed on the planet, especially because of how they, the artist did the shadows, which wouldn't quite work like that. It kind of, I don't know, it didn't quite work. And, and then with trying to nuke him and stuff, so <laughs> that, that was a little excessive. But everything up until then and everything after, too, and when she works her way into his psyche kind of thing. Wow. That was holy crap. If one of them does have to die, I actually kind of hope it's David because I would like to see blindfold carry on as now a fully formed character after years of her being a stuttering mess. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right. So that segues nice into your, what we're reading. Um, I'm going to start off with the most important one and that's <laughs> serenity. Actually. Uh, I was wondering if you'd read that. Oh, damn right. Did you read it? <laughs> Yes, I did. Um, I love this because it, it's interesting whenever we read these to see where the story takes place based on both the TV series as well as the movie and to see where it goes because they are the official canon. Like this is Zach Whedon working on this. So it's, you know, that this, this is what happens. This is what Joss had in mind kind of thing, or, you know, the working in tandem. So this being immediately after the events of serenity and wash is gone. And apparently Mal and Inara are doing the nasty now. <laughs> so, and then, um, you see how Zoe's dealing with wash being gone to the point of, seeing visions of him and stuff. I really loved it. Like you can feel the tension of the entire crew. Like the art was different too. This wasn't the normal artist who worked on him. So it's more of a likeness to the characters, not a full on trying to 
imitate exactly what they look like. Like when you're seeing the scenes, even just when they're waiting while Zoe is giving birth and they're just, they're all in the lunchroom and they're in different, they're, they're kind of moving around except for river, which just doesn't move. She sits and waits (laughs) again. You feel the tension of what's going on. It's, it was, I, I love this. I love how in this issue, Zoe basically represents every single firefly fan. (laughs) Because he, she starts having the vision of Wash, and you're like, yeah. oh, it's going to be a nice, tender, ah, uh, crap. crap. Yeah. <laughs> Damn you, Whedon. So, and uh, and then the stuff with Jane as well. And I, and and it's one of those things, too, where, like, we've, we've read other um, little stories that were after these events, but they were kind of peaceful to a certain degree like the memories of wash and different things like that but you got to think you know the alliance ain't gonna let this just sit after everything that happens so this is where you see yeah they're coming gunning for the crew not just mal everybody so i yeah i really enjoyed this a lot mm-hmm. uh next up chew 39 did you read that one Yes. So again, more of the trying to get him out of his funk, but then as well with the the, the memories with with uh, with Antonel and different things. Um, I love this. Didn't see this coming. <laughs> I love his daughter doing the imitating the agent, <laughs> <laughs> going in and just raising a hell, making a dagger out of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> the blender full of little <laughs> things. <laughs> so yeah, this was you know typical awesome. It, it doesn't. It's the it. I don't want to say what the ending is for people who haven't read it yet. Normally, I don't mind spoiling it, but I cannot wait for the next issue. Like seriously, cannot wait. This is- I have to know how much of this was planned from the start and how much of this has just been <laughs> layman winging it on a month-to-month basis. Honestly, I don't know. I, it, because it, it fits together so perfectly, yeah, it does. but I cannot envision somebody coming up with this. <laughs> I, I can because he leaves himself open to so many different possibilities with each and every issue. There's different things that he can go back to over all of these issues and pick and choose how he wants to mess around. And because he messes around with the continuity and things like that, and I mean, to the point of Antonelle coming back to and, and different memories and stuff, like you can really have a ton of fun with that and make it seem like you planned it all along. Uh, did you read Invincible 108? I did. This was actually, I now I am... I'm going to give my thoughts instead of just asking you right away. Um, it's your segment. Go ahead. I'm just often I'll say, what did you think? I liked this. And this was a return of what I expect of Kirkman's writing. There were a few little turns. There were different things, how it was handled. We're seeing freaking awesome robot stuff which is what we wanted uh to because he's got the potential to essentially be a villain and well the the proof is in the button and here it is um and i i loved the interactions between mark and what's her face and Mm -hmm. uh, just because 
it's it's a difficult situation. She's obviously right. He's not seeing things clearly, but you don't expect him to. And then the more they keep kind of um, talking about how in every other parallel universe, damn near, like there's so very few good marks, they're, they've all kind of lost it. So when he's kind of losing it a little bit here in the conversation too and stuff like that, it's, it, it, I really, really dug this issue a lot. Yeah, making a more direct comparison to Walking Dead, this was yet another issue that had big, crazy plot twist. But when you stop and look at it, it makes perfect sense. Unlike a lot of the, the twists and surprises we've seen in Walking Dead, which is just do stuff for the shock value. There's plenty of shock value here, but after it was over, you sit back and go, yeah, that that made sense for all the characters involved and for the start story going forward and it makes you more interested instead of being pissed off because they killed off a character you liked yeah no this was i i again this is one of those where i'm very much looking forward to seeing where the story is going to progress from here as well which is a good sign so because lately and, with invincible it's been more about well, i'll read it i know i'll like it but it's not like i can't wait to know where it's going this is okay you really have my interest now mm-hmm. and brian otley still coming oh, up with new and creative ways to show you more gore than you ever thought possible. <laughs> you got to wonder, like, is Kirkman going to him and saying, okay, listen, I'm thinking a grenade. Yeah, a, I'm thinking a grenade in the throat. Can you work with that? <laughs> um, Sega 18, did you read it? Mm-hmm. I'm well, actually shocked you read it. Well, I was t- I told you before. It's, mm-hmm. well, there's, there's, I figured you would read it eventually. <laughs> no, no, I've been trying to keep up with it. Like I said, there's there's parts of it that I really like and parts that I think is just attention whoring. But we've discussed that, which you see that in here as well. And it's like, okay, well, whatever. But uh, but no, I I enjoyed it. It was uh, it was it was interesting to see well the new characters introduced as well, and then what's going on. With the little girl and whatnot. More importantly, though, is that it it made that gigantic leap now to where now she's a toddler. And that's huge. Like, that's a huge leap. So from now forward, we're going to be getting much different stories. So I'm I'm kind of, I'm digging that. What's up with Lion Cat? Yeah. (laughs) Still the best character. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, okay, well, obviously, Superior Spider-Man 26. Fantastic. Really, is there anything else to say? <laughs> <laughs> I love that uh, the Avengers have progressively been getting more and more ticked off. I, I love the one, <laughs> like, when he wants to talk to him, and I'm a little busy now, and boom, everybody's down. Okay, now we're talking. <laughs> Uh, I did not like the change in art. We've talked about that how mm-hmm. many times. And they really tried to make it work in with the different scenes. So I can... The majority of the artwork was more fitting with what we've seen from Ramos. But then you had those, I don't want to call them fill-in pages, but the Mindscape pages from Marcos Martin, which were good on their own, but very... Well, I would have been all right with those had it only been with that but it was the different art for anything that he was doing with the avengers as well 
Mm-hmm. So it was too much different there, kind of that I I didn't dig it. Now, if this is because Ramos just didn't have the time because he was working on Revelations, I forgive him, <laughs> and that's all right. Actually, I, no, Ramos actually did some work on this issue too. No, There's that's Ramos, what I mean. Rodriguez, and Martin. That's what I mean, but I'm wondering if it's because he didn't have time enough to do the entire issue because he was mm-hmm. also working on Revelations which is possible because I would imagine a lot of work went into revelations, which yeah. is why I'm saying I'm all right with that. <laughs> if Spider-Man has to suffer for a little while while revelations is being done, I can, I'm all right with that. So, um, so once again, like this story is going forward, fantastic towards the goblin stuff. So, uh, and a friend of mine pointed out, we still haven't gotten confirmation. That's actually Norman Osborne. Yeah. There's any number of hints to indicate, but knowing Slot's writing style, they're giving us just the right hints to convince us it is until it isn't. Yeah. The stuff with Parker has actually been the um, least impressive stuff, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. because you went from being told he is gone. There is not a hint of him left to now. Well, there's a little bit of a hint in there. And I was like, ah, oh, damn it, slot. I, you know, stick to your friggin' guns. I had find another more creative way to bring him back that there's, you know, there's a part of him saved somewhere, you know, whatever, figure out something creatively. But to say that it's, there's still a sliver of him in his mind is like, ah, oh, no, there, this actually could potentially make sense. And I will go off and saying I take no credit for this particular theory because it, it was my buddy at work who's a huge Spider-Man fan. And he, as pissed off as he was with issue 700, he's one of those guys that as soon as they actually read superior version of it was on board with the premise. Remember the, uh, the end of the 2099 arc when the whole bomb was about to detonate and Peter knew how to deactivate it, but obviously Otto didn't. So we had those couple pages of Otto digging through his yeah. memories and we had all these classic Spider-Man scenes, but it was Otto's face, yeah. you know, over where Peter should have been. But there was one particular panel and it was one of the only panels on that on that spread that wasn't fully rendered in artwork where it looks an awful lot like it's actually Peter digging through the rubble instead of Otto and that it, the case could be made that that's the point where Otto broke through and released the small fragment of Peter that was still in there. Okay, again, I that's that's fine. <laughs> if true, and, that's awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, it can work. Yeah, it's just that once again, it's the old. We see this too many times in comic books where you're told one thing and told mm-hmm. with quite certainty this is what it is, only to then find out later on now there's a little sliver of him still in there. It's like, oh, come on. I would have been more right with freaking there's a digital version of him stored from Iron Man back from the Civil War days that they use. You know, there's there's any Except they've already done that exact same story with Iron Man. So, you know what I mean? (laughs) But yeah. Uh, Moving on, actually, did you read Deadly Class? That's the Remender one. I Uh, have wanted to. I actually haven't had a chance to check that out yet. From Image. Um, Check it out. It's it's really really good. the um, The story takes place in uh, eighty seven, so a lot of the stuff. While I didn't grow up in 
the same type of situation. The time frame. I should is hope my, not. <laughs> yeah, the the time frame is something that I can appreciate because I was in my my teens at that point. So um, the art is phenomenal. The um, the story is very good. It's not about superheroes and stuff like that. And even up until the end, well, I shouldn't say the end, towards the bit where you, you have quite a bit of action going on and then towards the end is when you find out about the assassin school kind of thing. So up until then, it's, well, not believable, but, you know, it's not superheroes flying around kind of stuff. So, and it proves that you can have just as much... um excitement on a page without needing people in spandex so and and the art demonstrates that perfectly like these action scenes are freaking ridiculously cool and the writing backs it up the art was done by i'm gonna tell you in a second west craig and uh colors by lee lawridge and the, the colors actually is quite noticeable quite noticeable and very very well done so yeah this is a really really good comic book like i am i would strongly recommend people check it out and see if they would enjoy it this is the writing is solid the art is phenomenal the story is good well worth reading cool so and that's it for me all right then into today's new releases marvel brings us a heck of a lot of new stuff we have all new invaders number two black widow number three captain america 16 iron man 21 loki agent of asgard number one mighty avengers number six miss marvel number one that's the uh younger kamala khan character not carol danvers did you see the not to interrupt did you see the uh, variant cover that showed the design the costume and the character design for her no it's very awesome actually very very cool all right we also have new avengers 14 punisher number one superior carnage annual which may be the first time i've ever seen a miniseries get an annual (laughs) superior foes of spider-man number eight and the new wolverine number one DC brings us a one-shot for Joker's daughter, which I should remind people that was awful during Villains Month. So it sold really well, so we're taking another shot at it. We have Detective Comics number 28, Earth 2 number 20, Forever Evil number 5, Swamp Thing number 28. From Image, we have Five Ghosts number 9, Invincible Universe number 10, and Lazarus number 6. Dark Horse brings us Bad Blood number 2 and The Star Wars number 5. From Dynamite, we have the new Turok Dinosaur Hunter number 1. The old Nintendo 64 player in me is very hesitant about that, but the creative team on it is actually pretty solid, and the art looks really cool, so I'll check that out. And from IDW, we have G.I. Joe number 13 and Transformers More Than Meets the Eye number 26. So that's going to wrap us up here at the Comic Book Informer podcast. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. So until next week, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.